written on that, raised on that. So I'm going to share one of them with you today. But the sermon today is going to illustrate how God can take ordinary people. Mm. Well, he took a man named Elijah, an ordinary guy, to make a stand against the world. The, the title of the, of the message here this morning is One Man Against the World. Have you ever felt that way? One man against the world. And you may disagree with what I just said. Because I said that he was just a, an ordinary guy. But, but ordinary, by definition, is to have no special or distinctive feature. Elijah was the type of guy where if you saw him at the market or you saw him at the gas station or wherever, he's just one of the guys. He's, he blended in. He wasn't, he wasn't some spectacular-looking guy. or he didn't really. Uh, you know, but what made him great, of course, was it, it, what he did for the Lord. We all know that. Uh, there's nothing about him that would stand out of the crowd, yet you would say he was everything but ordinary, Pastor. Don't call Elijah ordinary. Uh, but really what he was, he was a, listen now, he was an ordinary, and there's a message here for us. He was an ordinary man that did extraordinary things. Amen. Yes. Amen. He, was an he did extraordinary things, and we know all about it because we've read the miracles and all the stories, and, and one of them is going to be today. Um, and that's what God wants out of all of us. He wants to take what would be considered ordinary guys, just one of the guys, but do extraordinary things through him. Or do you believe that God has that for you? Okay, good. And that's why we, we call this one man against the world, because what Elijah did was he confronted all the pagan priests of his time, all the pagan priests that were in Israel. He, he just declared, he said, that's it. Uh, he, he told them to throw out anything that was contrary to the will of God, the word of God. So he made a stand. He made a stand, and 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 this is this was a this was a, a pivotal time even for him in his ministry. So it was a defining moment for him, Elijah the prophet. So what he did was he confronted uh, King Ahab, and he came to Ahab. And I'm going to save you some time from reading a lot of the scripture. He, he confronted King Ahab about the sins of the nation, and he prophesied that there wouldn't be rain for three years to get their attention. You know, God would do that every once in a while. I have people all the time saying, oh, I can't serve a God that would do something like that. And I, I could never really uh, get into a religion where God does this. He does it because he loves humanity. He, he loves it because it always leads to repentance. He knows the nature of man, that sometimes we only look up when we're down really low. And so he allows these things to happen with, with, with redemption in mind, you know, forgiveness in mind reconciliation in mind. That's God. That's what he did. So so he prophesied, this guy, Elijah prophesied, said, okay, there's not going to be any rain for three years. And guess what? There wasn't. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine, you know, he, he became public enemy number one. Nobody liked him. You talk about standing alone in this world. And when I say standing alone against the world, I'm not make, making the world a geographical uh, illustration, but the world system. Mm -hmm. He stood against the world system. And he made his stand, like many of us do. But it made him public enemy number one. And this is the reason why God hid Elijah at a point in his ministry right here. And he actually put him in where the ravens were feeding him. You guys remember that? He was fed by ravens. And then uh, he, he, he was there at, the, at, at a brook. He drank from a brook that was sustaining him. And when the, the brook dried up and he had to move on, he went to the widow of, of Zapath, or Zarephath, where, where he was again taken care of miraculously. And it was there that the first recorded resurrection took place in the Bible, where the widow's son had died, and he prayed over him and resurrected this kid. And so all these things that I'm talking about was just preparation 
for the biggest challenge of his life in ministry. And I want you to find yourself in the story, guys. That's why God put these Old Testament stories in here, so we can find ourselves in there. It's not just a historical account, but, it, but it's something that we can embrace and say, wow, that's where I'm at. Wow, that's what I need to do. Amen? Amen. So, so that, that's what he's doing. This is preparatory, all these things, for the biggest challenge in his ministry and his life. Uh, everything that you guys are learning at church, everything that God's showing you in your life, in your ministry, is preparing you for the battles ahead. You should be better equipped today to fight a battle than you were two years ago, yes. five years Amen. ago. Amen. Please, please don't tell me that you're the same as you were ten years ago, five years ago, eight years ago. Have we learned something? Have we grown in the Lord? Are we becoming fruitful? Are we applying what we're learning? Praise the Lord. Is it hot out there? Nope. You know what I always say. That's how the breeze going. You know what I always say. It's a lot hotter in hell, so thank God. Anytime I get out. But now, now I got to move on because I told you I wouldn't, I wouldn't take too long. But here, here's the story now. Now, uh, uh, Elijah finds himself at the mountain of Carmel, Mount Carmel. He finds himself there, and and he's going to have a showdown with the enemy of God, which, which by the way, is a type of Satan. We know that. You know, all the enemies of God at that point, and there was a battles going on, it represents the battle that we all in, are engaged in today. I'm going to read, start reading. I, I do have a lot of scriptures to read, but I'll catch the story as we go. First Kings 18, 17. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? I don't know if you ever read that, but Ahab, King Ahab, with all his false prophets and his paganism, he looks at Elijah and says, You know what? You're a troublemaker, man. Mm -hmm. You know, they're going to call you a troublemaker at work. Right. They're going to call you a troublemaker uh, in your family. You know, here, here, here comes the Christian. Here comes these uh, holier than nows. Here, you know, but there's, there's this contention. He says, you troubler of Israel. And I want to ask you this. Do you pose a threat to Satan at all? Yes. Ooh, come on. Is, is there a wanted poster in hell with your picture on it? There should be. Or are we, are, you know, are we wreaking havoc in Satan's world? Or do you blend in to a point? Where Satan doesn't even know, you know, who you are. Verse 18, and he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you've forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals, false gods. Now therefore send and gather all of Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. All these false prophets. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. So now it's, it's being set. The stage is being set. There's going to be a big showdown on Mount Carmel. And he had enough, he had enough experience and wisdom and spiritual authority to say, okay, we're going to end this thing once and for all. Meet me at Carmel. And so Ahab says, okay, because we're going to get rid of this guy who has brought drought to our land, right? We're going to, we're going to do away with this guy once and for all. And, and we'll get into the, that part in a second. But there was actually a call to Mount Carmel. You know, God's going to call you men to your Mount Carmel. Mm. Every so often, there has to be a face-off. There has to be a duel. There has to be uh, that OK Corral situation oh, where oh, you oh. say, that's it, and we're going to have it out right now. Yes. I, and now we've all been there, whether it's the lust of our flesh, whether it's anger, whether it's doubt, whether it's laziness, apathy, whatever it might be. You know, our, our, our carnality gets in the way. There's going to be a duel. There's going to be a face-off. So... Elijah was actually called to that place. Every man of God, and I call all of you men of God. Raise your hand if you're a man of God. Raise your hand if you're a woman. 
Okay, that's what we're going to read. All right. <laughs> Never know. Every man of God is going to find himself at a Mount Carmel you know? during his life. A place of testing, testing your faith, your courage. And what Elijah is about to engage in is an original shootout. It really is. Picture with me now, King Ahab is arriving at Mount Carmel. He's on one of those carts with gold and fringe and all this stuff. And he's got his best warriors and guards bring him in. And behind him, a total of 850 false prophets mm. that all want to see the end of Elijah and Jehovah. All of them. Because of the drought, because of the trouble that he's caused. This guy, in his prayers, has put us in this situation. Mm. Instead of yielding to God, they hated God. Thousands of heathens showed up. 850 prophets, but thousands of heathens showed up for the showdown here. And they want to see Elijah be dealt a deadly blow right here. So Elijah's defeat would mean the return of rain and the end of the drought, right? But here's the challenge. Verse 21, and Elijah came to all the people and said, oh, I, and this, I used this just last week or so for an offering, I think. He yelled out, he says, how long will all you people falter between two opinions? He's drawing a line in the sand. He's saying, how long, men, are you going to falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. Do what you got to do. Do the right thing. Follow him. But if Baal be your God, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Imagine that. Not even knowing what to commit to. Half in and half out. If, if God is God, follow him. If Baal's God, follow him. Make your decision. He's drawing that line in the sand. You know the Hebrew word for falter when he says don't falter between two opinions? is actually means lame man in the, in, the, in the Hebrew. Lame man. A lame person limping back and forth between two opinions. Imagine yourself in the spirit being that way and you're limping from one side to the other. I go to church, but I got to have this too. I believe God, but my situation is different. Limping, lame. He's giving those who rebelled against God another chance to repent. That's what Elijah's doing here. And the response of the people revealed the true condition of their hearts. And that is, but the people answered him not a word. What a horrible epitaph on our tombstone. He didn't answer a word when God called out. Now, you've heard me say this a lot over the pulpit, but the call of God demands a response. There's no neutral ground here, guys. It's either yay or nay. And, and I, I'm not frustrated, but I guess one of the frustrations of any pastor is, why can't I get these men just to serve the Lord? They're here and they're not here. They give, they don't give. They serve, they don't serve. They start something, they quit. Come on. It makes me feel better when I do that, so just say your <laughs> Get off my chest there. No, but the call of God does demand a response. And, and they were doing what so many people do today. They sit on the fence. Men, the fence is a bad place to be, trust me. You don't want to be on the fence. If you do find yourself on the fence, halfway faltering, you're going to come to a place in your life where you look back and say, I wasted my time. I should have, I could have, I would have, but I didn't. I don't want that. The older I get, the more I value every day. I want to be, I want to be fruitful. 
So I guess the question is, are you faltering like a lame man? Or are you where God wants you to be? Matthew 6, 24, we know this one. No one can serve two masters. Remember that? For either he will hate one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And in this particular case, mammon was the god of finances. Mammon was a, the money god. And you know, you know, we have two, two <laughs> idols that we serve. One is, one is the money god, in our culture especially, you know, and we seem to evaluate or rate you on how much you have, where you live, what you drive, what you wear. And nowadays for men, the jewelry, maybe even some makeup, I don't know. Oh, it's <laughs> but what he's saying here is you can't serve, you cannot serve God and mammon. <laughs> Now, here the contest actually begins. Elijah wasn't simply concerned with winning an argument here, guys. There was a whole lot more at stake, and much higher stakes. He wanted to do away with idolatry that riddled the nation once and for all. And Elijah called for two bulls to be placed on an altar. I'm saving a little time here. There are 450 prophets here, 400 over there, a one man against the world, or so he thought. Here I am by myself. Imagine one man standing against all of these people, and they all want you dead. Now, whichever God would show up and consume the altar with fire would be God. He set up an altar. He says, what we're going to do. We're going to set up an altar here. And we're going to put two bulls on here, which was a sacrifice. We're going to put two bulls in here. And, and uh, whichever, we're going to call on our gods. You call on Baal, I'll call on Jehovah. And whoever consumes this with fire is the true God, and that's going to settle it. This, this is a sudden death competition. Here. This, you know, you'll see why I said that. This represents a contest that presents itself every day in the heart and the life of every man. Good versus evil. Spirit versus flesh. Jesus versus Satan. That's what our life's about. Let me read it. Verse 25. Is it okay that I read this story? Yes. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first. He's letting them go first. He's saying, you go first for your many and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given them, and they prepared it, and they, they called on the name of Baal from morning, listen now, from morning even till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. So you can picture this now. They're calling on God for half a day. They spent six hours, eight hours calling on their God. He never showed up. Baal never showed up. Consume the altar. Prove yourself to be God. And then they start dancing on the altar. I don't know exactly how that looked or what they were doing, but whatever incantations and chants and rituals they were doing they were pouring everything out at this altar right now look at Elijah again he's outnumbered 850 to 1 on prophets not including the crowd and Elijah let the Baal worshipers go first which means that if they if, if Baal had appeared that would have put him out that's how much confidence he had in God do you have confidence in God this morning and on top of that Baal was also the God of the Sun he was the Sun God heat fire so this contest was Baal's sweet spot. It was his chance, because he's a consuming fire, they say. Yet Elijah knew that Baal was nothing to compare with the God, with Jehovah. And after the prophets of Baal prayed all day long, and even into the night, Elijah decided to have a little fun with them. And it gets a little sarcastic. Here it is. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them, saying, uh, maybe he's meditating. Maybe your God is busy. Maybe he's on a journey, or perhaps he's sleeping and has to be awakened. So he's just having a little fun there. Uh, verse 28. So they cried aloud. After that, they, they started in again. So they cried aloud, and they cut themselves. They began to sacrifice. They cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances, until the blood gushed out on them. 
out of them. And when midday was passed, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one, according to the Bible, paid attention. You know why Baal never showed up? Because he doesn't exist. Same reason why altars with food are left for gods and never eaten. You know, I remember, Louis, I remember making an inspection at some kind of a temple. I couldn't tell you what religion it was, but they made me take, they wanted me to take off my boots. I said, I don't take my boots off. Not during, I'm working, man. I, I might get a fight. You never know what might happen. So, but I went into their temple and we're making an inspection and they had an altar with fresh fruit. And I was a little hungry, to be honest with you. <laughs> that was a true story, true story. They had all this food. I mean, it looked good. It was, what a spread, you know. Not quite as good as what we just ate. Well, they had a spread, all kinds of fruit and vegetables, and, and it was at the altar. And I knew what that was all about. They, they offer that stuff to the gods. But just like the New Testament, I, I can't get into it all because I would have you here wrong, but it's an amazing study when you find out when Paul was talking about the temple. And what they would do is they would, they would, they would go to the temple and they would offer all this food to the gods, including meat. I mean, people were hungry back then, but they would have this all for the gods. And because the gods never showed up to eat it, uh, you get your best deal at the back of the temple because they were selling everything at 50% because it cost them nothing. So if you wanted good meat, you go to the temple. Say, we're going to the temple. Let's get some food because the gods never showed up. <clears throat> well, anyway, it's halftime and the Baal worshipers have nothing on the scoreboard. They're there into the evening again. After they got made fun of, they said, we're going to pray some more. We're going to call on Baal some more. So now it's Elijah's turn. And, and the way he does it makes it impossible to deny the existence of Jehovah God. Here it is, verse 30. Are you with me? Amen. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he prepared the altar of the Lord, uh, the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar. Listen to this now. He builds a trench around it. That wasn't part of the deal, but he builds his trench. has dig a hole in there. Um, and, and he put the wood in order, cut the, the bowl in pieces, and laid it on the wood and said, Fill your water pots, pots with water. Pour it onto the burnt sacrifice in the wood. Then he said, do it a second time, and they did it a second time, and then he said, do it a third time, and they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar, and he and it also filled the trench with water. He filled the trench with water. He doused all of the sacrifice, everything that was there. He Water, 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 as much as three times, three trips, until the trough was full of water. So this thing soaked. He wanted to make sure that there was no excuse, no, uh, no uh, uh, spontaneous combustion, nothing that caused it. Now look at the prayer. Verse 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, here's the prayer, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, or Jacob, let it be known this day that you're God in Israel, and I'm your servant, and that I've done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you're... Now listen what his motive is. It wasn't to wipe everybody out, to kill everybody. Here's what it is. Here's what he says. That the people may know that you are the Lord, our God. And that you have turned their hearts back to you again. For all the people that were led astray, the people of Israel, that they would turn their hearts back to God. That should be our desire. Yes. Not to be right, not to prove discipline, but, but the, the ultimate 
reason for doing all that we do is that it equates to souls getting saved and the backslider repenting. In the midst of whatever battle you find yourself in, it's got to be your goal, church. To turn people back to God. Well, we're getting closer. You ready? Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice. All he had to do was call on God one time. He said, get the water in here. And fire came down from heaven. Listen to this. The fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wooden stones and the dust. And it licked up the water that was in the trench. All right? Hebrews says, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 20 says, For our God is a consuming fire. Come on. God will ultimately burn away all the counterfeits, all the chaff, our flesh. That's why the real meaning of being on fire for God is that it's a consuming fire. It burns away. I mean, is there such a thing, guys? Do you believe there's such a thing as being so full of God there's no room for anything else? Yeah. yeah. I can't tell you I live like that every second of the day and every day of the week. But I will tell you, I've been there where there's, you're so full of God, there's no room for sin. Mm -hmm. It Really, I'm telling you. And that's what the fire does. Now, I want you to notice, going back to Elijah, that he didn't want to destroy everybody. Only the false prophets who led the children of Israel astray. They were executed. They were executed. There, there's no room for idolatry. And these were those who led the people into sin and idolatry. God hates idolatry more than anything else. The very first of ten commandments is, You shall have no other gods before me. The very first commandment. God takes it very seriously that we don't have idols in our life. Your wife, your car, your money, your career. Yourself. And here we see that Elijah actually becomes a foretaste of what will take place in the book of Revelation where Satan, the supreme object of idolatry, will be defeated and thrown into the fire. Mm, Consumed with fire at God's altar. God was doing it then, he's doing it now, he's going to do it at the end. Imagine with me the courage of one man against the whole world. One man in the hands of God, Elijah. One man against the world, and so he thought that. Men, listen... You may sometimes feel like you're doing all this alone, but you're not alone. The Bible says that God before you, mm. come on, who could be against you? Come on. One of the greatest lessons that we can learn from this story is not all religions are the same. Come on. Because that's what people are telling us. Well, you know, as long as you... No. No. This story tells you that religions are different. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, listen now, no man comes to the Father but by me. So on that day at Mount Carmel, it mattered very much who you believed in. And it matters today who you believe. I'm saying this to Christian guys, Firehouse Church, I get it, I know. But, but it's a good measuring stick, isn't it? It's a good plumb line. Am I trusting God? Can I be courageous? Can I be maybe one man against the world sometimes and still stand for God. Don't believe anybody that tells you that all religions are basically the same. They're wrong and it will take you to hell. It wasn't until the churches were ordered by our government, we've all experienced this together, COVID-19, the government for the first time in American history came in and said all churches will close their doors or be prosecuted, run the risk of prosecution. And they did in some cases. Some of the bigger churches that were kind of uh, out there 
you know, we, we kind of snuck under the radar, but, but there were some of the bigger churches that had to be accountable to this thing. And the, the, and the line again, later in history, is now drawn. And it's Baal against Jehovah once again. It's a world system. And a lot of people, a lot of you asked me during that time, Pastor, is this the beginning of, of the Antichrist? 666. I said, I don't think so, but it's a real good dress rehearsal. This government is testing the church. Satan is testing the stability, your strength, your character, your spiritual uh, uh, walk with God. It's being tested. Will you deny Christ when it's not convenient for you to serve him? It's getting quiet. That was our Mount Carmel, wasn't it? It was our showdown. Final question. If you were to go, if you were to go on trial today for being a Christian, would you be convicted? Is there enough evidence to prove you are a Christian? Think about that. That's an old one, but I brought it out again. Yes. God help us all to have the guts and the faith to make our stand for God. One man against the world. No problem, though, because with God, all things are possible. Amen. So what can we walk away from this morning? You said chorizo. What spiritually, where do you fit into the story? What areas of our lives do we need to give to God and say, God, I, I'm sorry. I, I've fallen away. It seems like if you were to summarize uh, uh, what, what the pastors are trying to do year after year after year is just get a bunch of people to serve the Lord. To your fullest capacity. So let's bow our heads. Amen.